Today and through the uh, Labor Day weekend, we're going to continue to enjoy what we call here at Christ Church Summer Lights. And if you're just wandering in today, this is a series in which we bring in some of our favorite luminaries from around the country to share with us from God's Word and from their own heart. This morning, it is such a joy to welcome back a friend. Uh, The Reverend Andrew Morgan was for many years one of the leading pastors of Christ Church of Oakbrook. And Andy and his wife Gwen and their children, Anna and Micah, were central parts of this church's life. When Dr. DeCryder hired Andy Morgan, he went to the board of trustees and said, I need to tell you that if we hire this guy, it's going to change this church. And by that he meant that Andy brought with him a very unstarched, open-hearted, welcoming spirit with a passion for reaching people that were not normally uh, at home in churches and with a special passion for reaching single adults for whom church sometimes uh, felt like an alien and an unwelcoming place. And over the years that Andy was uh, our single adult pastor, literally hundreds upon hundreds of people came closer to the heart of Jesus through God's ministry in Andy's life. Uh, He founded the Ascend Ministry. He led us into the singles adult ministry in a whole new way. And uh, many of the people that are now leaders in our church's life uh, are here today because of the work of God through this very, very remarkable man. Uh, Some years ago now, almost eight years ago now, uh, Andy... uh, Uh, stepped out in in response to the call of God. He'll say a little bit about that in in a moment. And uh, founded a new church out in Aurora called the River Valley Community Church. And still out there now, in all kinds of creative ways, people are coming to Jesus and learning to walk his way and to influence the world uh, in his spirit. And so it is with profound joy that that I get to see this friend again. He was my ambassador when I first came. He was my executive pastor uh, when I first came, and uh, it is a delight uh, to welcome Andy and his family. Gwen and Micah and Anna, where are you? Stand up. I'm going to embarrass you. Stand up for just a second so we can spot you, and we want to welcome you as well. Will you join me in giving a very, very warm round of applause uh, to Andy Morgan and to his family as they come to be with us? <laughs> Love you, buddy. Have fun. I really do. It is good to be here. There's some things that haven't changed. We still have the slide out step so I can be seen. Uh, (laughs) um, It's always a daunting experience to come back to a place where you've been to preach and also to fill somebody else's pulpit. And I looked at the list of people that have been here the last couple of years, and I go, no, why did I say yes when he asked me? I've been having anxiety attacks for four weeks. Um, But everything that has happened in our ministry and in our life really is a result of um, you folks. Uh, We... I was here under Dr. DeCryder and had an absolutely amazing experience having him mentor me, teach, and lead me. And then also, then when Dan came, to be under his leadership 
and just the times together, the learning, the growing, the laughing, the sharing, the praying together, uh, going through different experiences together. It was just so significant in my life. And when I look back, um, the years at Christ Church were just unbelievable in helping to form me. Uh, This church is just a generous church, a loving church, a caring church, an accepting church, uh, an evangelistic church, and the fact that they want to have an impact not only in Oak Brook, but in the world. And that heritage is what I took to Aurora. Um, And it has been an amazing journey. I can remember when I, eight years ago, when I went into Dan's office and said, I think God's leading me to plant a church in Aurora. And he goes, are you sure about that? And I go, no. And he said, well, then let's just pray about it. And we'll pray about it for a couple of months. And then if you still feel that that's where God's leading you, uh, we'll send you off as a missionary into Aurora. And so the missions committee supported me and sent me off to Aurora. And that time has been an amazing, amazing experience for my wife and myself, our kids. Um, I would like Micah and Anna and Gwen to stand up again. Next to them are some very, very important people in our family. Uh, Cecia, would you stand up? This is Micah's fiance. They're getting married in October. And <laughs> next to uh, next, uh, Anna is Josh Turner and Carlina Turner. Would you two stand up? Josh is heading up our Spanish ministry. He, they, they have uh, started a, a Hispanic church on Sunday nights that they've been working with, and they have a phenomenal ministry into the Hispanic community. And their son, Josue. Are you standing up? I don't think so. There you go. <laughs> so he's a part of our ministry. Thank you for being here. <clears throat> People ask about our church, and I'll tell them it's a, it's a mixture. Uh, there's about maybe 10% African-American. Uh, last week, there was about 15% uh, Hispanic. Um, there's about 10% uh, Nepali, and about 10 to 12% ex-felons, um, or current, and... And about 95% redeemed sinners. Uh, There's probably about 5% that come each week that have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's been an amazing experience of how God has moved. Uh, Since we've been in Aurora, our goal was to always plant other churches. And we've been able to plant two churches. And uh, if we continue on with the Lord's will... uh, Josh and Carlina will be planting a third church, but it'll be a Hispanic church. And um, we have worked a lot with Wayside Cross Rescue Mission, Hesed House, a lot of the ministries in Aurora. Our goal is to be a light in the city of Aurora, but not just to those that are underserved, but also to the city. So we've also been able to help start a cafe in downtown Aurora where most of the downtown or the city officials will have lunch. And so, which has helped us in getting some permits taken care of a little bit quicker than normal. Um, we also have a counseling center that we partnered with um, Doug McKinley, 
who was here for a few years in the area of family ministry. So it's been a, sort of been an exciting journey. And it, in working with a, a people who have had addictions or struggled, it's been an interesting uh, dynamic. Um, we have one guy who had been at Wayside Cross for 18 months. And Wayside Cross is a very successful, very intentional discipleship ministry for men in transition, for addicts. And he had been a, a cocaine addict. And then after 18 months of being in this live-in residential center, one week after he got out, he was, he was back on a cocaine high. Sold his $10,000 Tahoe for $700 to pay for drugs, and after a whole weekend of doing nothing but cocaine, they called me up and said, you know, he needs help. And so we spent seven days with him, 24 hours a day. We got somebody to stay with him 24 hours a day until he came off of, you know, that high. But then they said, well, he needs to go back into the mission. I go, no, he doesn't need to go back into the mission because he was in the mission for 18 months, and then one week out... He needs a new life. He needs a new community. He needs to, you know, something different. So at that point, we were able to find a house, and four men moved into that house. All had been addicts, but it's a discipleship house where there's Bible study. They have to have a counselor. They have to have a mentor. They have to be involved in a church, and it's a high level of accountability, but a tremendous amount of freedom also. They all work. They're all carrying on regular jobs. The person who was on that cocaine high two years ago is now running that house. And he is um, going to school and getting his degree in special education and is working on the Eastside School District um, with special needs kids. So it's just amazing to see that, that transformation that can take place. And I thought about that in regards to how difficult that is sometimes and, you know, to have that life really changed and transformed. And when I walked in and I was looking at the windows, and Dan had shown me the building a couple of times before when I've stopped by, and I just love the windows. I love the sanctuary. I, you just walk in and there's just a sense of worship. But on the window there, it talks about this Holy Spirit. And on there is the fruit of the Spirit, you know, and how those are to be manifested in our life. And it's really, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, that really is the core of, the, of spiritual life. The core of the, what spiritual growth is about is not just more spiritual activity, more Bible knowledge, more activity, it is when the fruit of the Spirit becomes a part of who you are and that you're able to see the changes in your life because of the fruit of the Spirit. To have our lives marked by that fruit, that's the center of the target. That's what authentic transformation really is. And that's the kind of person that probably all of us really want to be. But I can look at those qualities and I, for example, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Yeah. And then I have anxiety attacks about coming here to preach. You know, I I want peace, but this is not easy. Um, 
And what happens is that many times by our own efforts, we will try to produce the things that can't be produced. We'll try to develop these things, and it's God that does it. It's the fruit of his spirit, not the fruit of our works. And so when we are with him, that's the promise, that through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, Jesus' character will be developed in us. Paul affirmed in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. According to Galatians 2.20, I have a new identity. Hear that. Our identity is in him. And if you want to understand identity, that's where you have to start. That God redeemed us. He redeemed humanity through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so when we say, I believe that God is real, I believe that Jesus Christ came and died for my sins, that I've asked him for forgiveness, that he has come into my life, that he is sanctifying me, All that means that when we do that, something inside of us changed. Something inside changed. And now as redeemed people, we need to recognize that we are changed people. Tell you what, can I get three volunteers up here? We're not going any further until I get three people, folks. (laughs) So the longer the service is, you know... Okay, we got... Okay, now, at our church, we have four pastors. I have an African Methodist pastor. I have an Assemblies of God pastor. I have a Presbyterian pastor. And I have a Nazarene pastor. And it was the African Methodist pastor that gave us this illustration. This is the spirit. He's, He's the new man. He's the one that... Now, after we accept Christ, he is new. He's... He's the part that's been redeemed. He said, in fact, the scripture says he is righteous. When we accept Jesus Christ, we are righteous. So here is Mr. Righteous. Now, we have the old man, the flesh. And what does it say about the flesh? Anybody? The old man is what? I didn't say it. They did. I'm sorry. Um, But you're dead. Uh, And then we have the soul, our mind, our emotions, our will. And so we have this brand new spirit man who's been redeemed, who is now called righteous, who's trying to transform this old man, the soul man. And the problem, hey, the soul man, um, the problem is that this old dead person really likes this person. And so it's constantly holding on and doesn't want to let him go. And so we have a choice as we go through life. Do I want to live in the identity of who Christ calls me? My new nature, the spirit? To allow that spirit to transform my mind, my emotions, my behavior? Or do I want to let the old continue to hold me? And that's basically what spiritual transformation is all about. Allowing our identity in Christ to impact who we are in our humanity 
and let the old go away and let the new come forth. Thank you guys very much. So, and you might all want to thank them for allowing the church service to get out a little bit earlier. The problem is that too many times we live out of our own identity. We have this old guy, the flesh, and he just continues to try to impact our life. So when we're trying to go forward, it's this old that keeps on holding us back. And that's the battle. That's the battle of the Christian life. That's the battle that I deal with on a day-to-day basis in my life. And the battle that I deal with on a day-to-day basis with the people that I come into contact with. Are you going to live out of your new nature, your new identity in Christ, or are you going to hold on to your old identity of your past? Where are we going? Are we deriving who we are from where we were? Or are we deriving where we're going by who we are and who we become? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. In Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. See, when you believe in Christ, at that moment, you become a new creation. Everything else is gone. You are new. This is how the Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Theology states it. God the Father is righteous. Jesus Christ, his Son, is the righteous one. The Father, through the Son, in the Spirit, gives the gift of righteousness to repentant sinners for salvation. Such believing sinners are declared righteous by the Father, through the Son, are made righteous by the Holy Spirit working in them, and will be wholly righteous in the age to come. We are declared righteous for Christ's sake. In Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed God. Believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteous. Now, the key there is that he believed God. Many times we sort of, I'll hear people say, well, yeah, I believe in God. Means absolutely nothing. Means absolutely nothing. It's not believing in God that declared Abraham righteous. It was he believed God. That he believed the promises of God. He believed that what God said. He believed it, and because he believed it, he acted upon it. I'll hear people say, well, I believe in God, and it makes no difference in their life. Just like they believe in love. They believe in the flowers. They believe in trees. But it's when they believed God that his life was accounted for righteous. And so that's what he calls us. We have been transformed. We have been translated out of this old identity into a new one. And in the new one, you are righteous. 
Um, so what we are now is that we have been declared righteous. Now, the question, of course, is what does that mean? It means, first and foremost, that from this point forward, when a person is declared righteous, we are not trying to become righteous. We are not righteous by our own works. We are righteous because of what he did. And what's important to understand this is that when we are trying to become something, we are not living out of that identity. And so when we are righteous and we're living out of that, that's our identity in Christ. When we're saying, I'm trying to be righteous in order to be accepted by Christ, we're not living out of the identity that Christ has called us to live. And that's why people struggle. They're not living out of their identity. They're not living out of their heritage. I can remember when I came here, um, I, the, Dr. DeCryder had to find out whether or not there was any Dutch in me. <laughs> so we went way back into history. And sure enough, we found some Dutch. So I said, okay, you're on. Um, but really, you know, majority of myself, English and French. And, um, and so all of us have a heritage. It doesn't matter where you are, whether male, female, you know, whether you were French or German or English or Dutch, whatever it is, we all have a heritage. And none of us, none of us chose it. None of us chose it. It was just our heritage. When God called us, He chose us. He gave us a new heritage. And he said, this heritage, you are righteous. You are righteous. Now, that's a hard one for us to live out of. Because if I ask people, I go, how many people are saved? How many people are redeemed? Just raise your hand. The scripture tells us if you're redeemed, let the world know. Let the redeemed say so. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, don't put him back down. I never said put him back down. Keep him back up. If you're righteous. Now, folks, if around you there's nobody, somebody's not putting up their hand, you know who you're supposed to be praying for for the next couple of weeks and witnessing to them and bringing them to the evangelism lunch. But keep those hands up. Raise them high. Now, all those hands that are up, how many of you would say you're righteous? <laughs> Have you not been listening? <laughs> See, it's hard for us to live out of that identity, isn't it? It's hard for us to say, Jesus has called me righteous. This is the spirit man. We're still over here living in the old saying, no, I'm not that good. That would be arrogant of me to say that I'm righteous. I, I can't do that. And so we live over here in this identity, struggling, instead of living over here saying, with Jesus saying, you are declared righteous. You are declared righteous. And let my righteousness transform the old. But instead of letting the righteous transform the old, we let the old bring down the new man. Because we won't even acknowledge that he has declared us righteous. And if we're not acknowledging that he's declared us righteous, we're trying to earn our righteousness. And once again, as long as we're trying to earn our heritage, we don't have it. I can't try to be French. That's my dad's side. I'm there. 
you know. So it's not a matter of trying. It's a matter of who I am. So when we act out of who we are, we're not trying to strive to be something. So, that, so what does that all look like when we're really living out of our righteous heritage? Like that window, the fruit of the Spirit. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it looks like. And it's not something that I can produce. It's something that God produces in me. And personally, since I've been in Aurora, I've gained great confidence, great confidence in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to change a person's life. I have seen people who I've said, there's no way God could change that person, and that person has been changed. I've seen guys who come to Christ and who've lived lives that are just unbelievable come out of um, the different areas of life that I don't even want to think about. And they come and they accept their life in Christ and they start doing things that are still connected to their old life and I just go, oh no. You know, give me patience, Lord. And as soon as I say, you know what? I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in their life and I'm not going to be God in their life. It's amazing what God does. As soon as I remove myself and allow the Holy Spirit to work in a person's life. Because God has redeemed them. God has declared them righteous. So I need to step aside and allow God to work in their lives. We can trust the ministry of the Holy Spirit. By contrast... The safest and wisest thing we can do is to entrust ourselves also into the ministry of the Holy Spirit to allow him to have his way in our life. So for the rest of this time, I'm going to finally focus on the scripture verse that we're supposed to be talking about, um, which is in John 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Do you know what the most frequent promise in the Scripture is? I will be with you. That's the most frequent promise in the Scripture. I will be with you. And here's a variation. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So what is God's desire for this church? What is God's desire for each one of us? That this church, this community of believers that meets at this location, bears much fruit. And the way to do that? Stay connected.
Stay connected to the vine. You hear it over and over. Remain in me. The, the uh, King James Version says abide. Um, I've seen others stay connected. I'm not sure what the New Living says. But they're all focused on the same fact of staying connected to the, to, to the vine. And that's what we are to do. From one moment to the next, keep receiving the unceasing flow of life and nourishment and love from God. And if I do that, if you do that, if I abide, if you abide, the fruit will come. We won't be able to stop it. But it's, it's because we're abiding. It's not because we're over here trying to create artificial fruit in order that it will look good, in order that it can be accepted. It's because we're abiding over here and living in his love. So Jesus promises that he will be with us, that he will remain in us. And because of that, the fruit of the Spirit will be developed, the joy, the love, the peace, the patience, the kindness. But what does it mean to abide? And that's sometimes where we, it gets a little bit difficult. Because we think that to abide, we need to create a whole bunch of new things that we need to do. You know, because I don't feel like I'm abiding. I don't feel very righteous, so I need to do some more. Many times it's not doing more. It's acknowledging what we are doing and surrendering it to God now. Every morning we wake up. How we wake up and what's the first thing we do when we wake up can help indicate whether or not we're going to abide in God that day or abide in our own agenda but if the first thing you do, you wake up in the morning and you just, you know, say, God, this is your day. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Now help me throughout this day to surrender every aspect of what I do into you. Help me to acknowledge you in the comings and the goings. Help me to recognize your presence. When I go to make a decision, help me to come to you first. Let him be at the center of everything you say and do throughout the day. It's not trying to carve out another hour, say, okay, I just have to read more, I have to do this more. No, it's abiding, and abiding is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not, the branch doesn't come off every day for an hour to get nourishment, No, it's because it's connected. The spiritual moments in the morning are huge in the terms of the way you face your day. It can be tempting to feel so overwhelmed that we get up in the morning and we don't even acknowledge God. We just get out of it. I got this business thing. I got this. I have this. I got to take care of all these things. I got these chores. And we just get going and we don't even acknowledge God. And then we wonder by the end of the day why we have no power. It's because we removed ourselves from our source of power. If you read the newspaper, how many read the newspaper? How many watch the news? How many get depressed after doing both? (laughs) A little masochistic, aren't we? I think I'll do a depression today. Bring me the paper. Um, We don't have to look at it that way. 
Use your paper as your prayer guide. As you read the paper, pray for the things that you're reading. You're of a family that lost a loved one. Pray for the family. You're of somebody, you know, a tornado going through Joplin. Pray for that. Pray that how, I, how can you use me, God, to bring comfort to that situation? On the way here today, we heard about the, um, the Indiana Fair where four people were killed and 40 people injured. Um, just to pray for it. We will, we, I'll listen to pundits talking about the economy all day long. Just pray about it. Because, you know, talking about it is not going to change anything. Abiding in Christ, knowing that he will be with us, will make all the difference in the world for us. And when we have that kind of relationship with God, the world will be beating down the doors to find out what is it about us that can go through those things and not affect us when other people are, being, are you know, going to the doctor's to get anxiety medicine. Because in the fruit of the Spirit in us is a peace, a joy, a love, a hope. When you come home at the end of the day and you have to re-enter into the home, it might be real good to surrender your day to God so you can go home and be with your family, whatever that may be, or be with your friends. When you get to the end of, it, end of the day, take a moment and acknowledge that God was with you all day long. Abide in him. Thank him for he was with you from moment to moment to moment. See, really so much of it is just acknowledging, being aware of, of God's presence in your life. Now, the important thing to hear at this point is if that you said, you know what, I'm really going to practice the presence of Jesus. I'm really going to abide. I'm going to commit myself to that. And you're going to make that kind of a commitment. It's all going to feel real good. And you're going to fail miserably. Okay? That's what we do. We're sinners. But we're righteous sinners. And when we fail, instead of going over here and saying, tried it, doesn't work, no good, I give up on that, say, tried it, failed, please forgive me. I'm ready to hold on to my identity as righteous and allow you to renew me, restore me, and your promise that you will always be with me, I'm holding on to right now. What happens with the people that I work with many times, they are so afraid of failure because they think failure is fatal that if they make one little step, they go all the way back into their addiction. Our our help for them is to help them that they are in process, that they are being sanctified. The new, one, new life, the new spirit, the spirit of Christ is transforming the old. But we still have to deal with the old. So just acknowledge, I've made a mistake and I'm ready to go forward. Get back on the vine. Allow the flow. It's not about what you're doing. It's what Jesus is doing through you when you're connected to him. Abide. Stay connected. Remain in Christ. And the people that you're sitting next to, remind them to remain in Christ. And if you don't know who that person is, get their name before you leave and tell them that this week you're going to pray for them that they will remain in Christ and abide in him and be declared righteous. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day.
And Father, I just thank you that you said, as the Father has loved me, that's how I love you. That you love us with the same love that your Father loved you. Now help each of us, help me to abide in that love, to remain in that love. Do not try to earn that love, but to just remain in it, to live in it, to bask in it, and to share it with others. Thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.